And welcome back again to the Tormageddon Podcast. I'm your host, Oscar Hernandez, and I'm with... Kenny. The one and only Kenny. And I always say we have a special treat, but today's an especially awesome treat. Uh, Kenny, I don't know if you want to do the honors... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we have to say that because she signs her checks. <laughs> so it's the specialist of all the treats to welcome elite, elite Multimedia CEO, Angela Patty. Angela Hello. Patty. Yeah. All right. Um, I, feel, I feel good. I think I can keep my job now. You could have clapped. <laughs> oh. Well, there it goes. <laughs> um, awesome to have you here, Angela, uh, on the show. And for all... All those that are listening that don't know exactly who you are, can you just give us a little background about uh, yourself and uh, your current position? Because that's exactly what we called out right when we uh, presented you. So you could go ahead and give us a little background on yourself. Yeah. Uh, my name is Angela Patty. I'm the CEO for Elite Multimedia Productions. Uh, background, just professionally speaking, uh, I've been in the accounting industry for about 15 years. So that's what my, my background is in. That's where I come from. And I'm a numbers person, uh, which you guys yes. absolutely love. I, I can tell you. This uh, so I uh, actually got started in business management probably about 13, 14 years ago. I did that for a couple of years. Wanted to make a transition out. Uh, and there was a spot available at a production company in Nashville. And I landed at Elite Multimedia Productions as an assistant controller uh, and did that for several years. I've been here for about a decade now. So kind of worked my my way up, and then uh, a few years ago got the opportunity to step into a CEO position, and well, here I am. Very nice. Now was so coming out of where you came before was the production industry ever on your radar? Absolutely as a not. Okay, absolutely not. So did that? So moving into that, was that appealing to you at all? Did that? Was that just kind of uh, you were looking looking to go somewhere and it didn't really matter, or was there something that kind of stuck out to you? Well, kind of the genesis to to make a decision to to shift out of business management was at that point I had enough exposure to kind of understand that uh, that that side of the entertainment industry was not something compelling for me personally to stay involved in. Right. Um, and so it was looking for a shift. I already knew that I had a preference for the entertainment industry, particularly the people. Uh, the level of creativity, especially when you're in a field like accounting, to have something that gives you an exposure to something just beyond the the right. kind of redundancy of numbers day in and day out, to actually get exposure to a lot of different personality types, a lot of different segments of the industry was hugely appealing for me. Would I say that I kind of production in particular was on my radar? Absolutely not. I don't think it is on anybody's. Um, I was going to say, yeah. but I don't know anybody that intentionally <laughs> fell into this or yeah, intentionally I, stepped well, into I was say, production. I think the, the last couple that we've done, that's kind of, I think that's one of the underlying themes is that you woke up one day and you're like, oh, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a kind of Bob Ross. This is a happy accident yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Now this numbers thing is it. Was it like a newfound thing as you got older or like since like kindergarten, you've always was, been was good at little math? Was Angela Patty a numbers person? Yeah. I've actually wanted to know the answer to this question. Winning like math contests, math competitions, uh, stuff no, like that. No, I wouldn't say uh, that school was ever a huge priority for me. Okay. Um, which kind of has flipped now as, as I have gotten older and am a parent that I also look at my kids and I'm like, yeah, school's cool and everything, but, you know, it's not going to be the primary foundation for your success as you grow older, your ability to find something you're passionate about. 
to persevere and stay determined in the face of adversity is actually what's going to make you successful. So no, little Angela Patty (laughs) was not a numbers person. Um, I didn't actually even really like math. Uh, What's interesting to me about accounting and just the finance industry in general is that so many people kind of on its face look at it as this is just about numbers. And that's super boring. Like who... There's a very small segment of people that would really be passionate about something that is yeah. just kind of black and white and factual as, as numbers. For me, what really got me engaged and kind of hooked me in was that I understood and started to see that numbers are a component, but they tell a story. Mm. And so when you look at that and you really dig into it, numbers will give you the capacity to understand what story you're telling and what you're looking at. And then also gives you really the flexibility and freedom if you're allowed to be creative with it to figure out, okay, this is where we are. This is where we want to be. How can I get the numbers to push us to tell the story that I want to tell so that we can be successful? Yeah. Oh, so it's almost like, um, I heard it one time that numbers are like the ultimate truth. Yeah. Um, there's no way around. They don't lie. Um, I really wish they did sometimes just a little bit, you know, (laughs) skewed off just by a bit. (laughs) Now we've gotten into your professional background. Right. So let's go. I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to get dangerous because you know she'll she'll turn this on us, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait for it, guys. <laughs> I'm not just going to sit here and take it. Yeah, yeah. Like, so. Perfect. So um, give us a little bit. Did you grow up uh, in Tennessee or um, just give us a little backstory on that? Yeah, I, I grew up born and raised in East Tennessee. I grew up on a small working farm. Nice. So there was a... From a very early age, I have some real core memories of uh, being out in a garden, working. Uh, early in the outdoors. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you could say it was free labor for my parents. <laughs> it was certainly forced. Um, but from an early age, kind of the foundation for number one, uh, teamwork and being able to work in an environment where you have consensus on, on what's going on was really instilled in me at a, a young age. Um, the understanding that sometimes you have to push through and do things that you don't want to do. Mm. Uh, and that's going to be critical right. for your success. I would say that was really kind of in the environment that I grew up in. My number one takeaway that I've utilized in my kind of adult and professional life. Um, but yeah, small working farm, East Tennessee, uh, went to college, uh, the university of Tennessee at Knoxville, uh, Ovals, um, <laughs> and then uh, moved to Middle Tennessee and actually went back to uh, Middle Tennessee State University and got my second degree in accounting. Um, and then kind of the rest is uh, history. History from there. That's so awesome. Did did you get, um, did somebody suggest to you like, oh, you should go for your second degree or you just already knew that this is what you wanted to go for? Yeah. Like down that path? Uh, no. So honestly, what happened was... Um, Man, we may be able to cut some of this. Okay, just let me know. I like when uh, it starts with honestly. Mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, my ex-husband, my <laughs> um, my husband at the time started a, a small business and needed some assistance in just the basic kind of bookkeeping skills, um, how to track everything, how to to look at job costing, things like that, kind of your your base level accounting stuff. And so I kind of stepped in to to fill that gap and really was like, oh. I kind of love this. This is ah, great. So you fell into it. You started trying it out. And then you're like, oh, this is, I, I enjoy doing this. Yeah. It's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what makes her weird, I think. 
Yeah, that's, def- <laughs> that's well, definitely. Well, it's, it's definitely not a, not We're a special. common thing. We could say special. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it, it's funny because it's one of those things where, you know, you don't, from the outside looking in, you don't know if, you don't think you'd like it. You might even prejudge it and be like, oh, I don't know. But then you start doing it or something that you didn't expect and you're like, wow, I actually enjoy this and I'm good at it. So it's like a combination of those both things that really kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of going out into the the broader philosophy for for how we all kind of move through life is that one of the core things you want for yourself and the people around you is that you find something um, that you're passionate about that clicks with you. And then you find the most interesting place that you can do that in. Mm. You find a way to help the most people that you can. And if you can hit all of those, you just kind of find your path in life that leaves you really fulfilled. And so for me, that really started out with something as boring <laughs> and mundane as as accounting. I was just passionate about it. I'm just saying I have to I have to do my homework before going and meeting with her. Hell yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have heavy numbers right. I, I, I do. I, I sit in my office for probably a good hour doing all of it on a calculator because I know when when I walk in there, she's going to do it all in her head like this. And uh, it makes me, I don't like it. Yeah. So I I have to go in and be, I have to be ready to go because she's going to be on top of it. I just need to understand. She's going to be like right on top of it. I'll start saying something. She'll go. And so that's uh, X, X percent. And I'm like, sure. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So is that like a kind of thing that kind of merges in with like your, your normal day-to-day life in the sense of like, you know, let's say you're out. Well, okay. I'm not going to say like grocery shopping because that tails with numbers directly, but let's say you're somewhere or you hear something or something in the news and will you whip out you, your calculator? And just are you start- asking her if she's Rain Man? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, no, I definitely not. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it, once you understand the, the fundamentals of how just businesses work, your level of curiosity for how everything else works, even when you're just a participant, not necessarily kind of the, the driving force, you're a consumer, you're always yeah. curious about yeah. it. Like you will walk through Disney World with your kids and go like, this was $125 a ticket for the day. I have seen like 10,000 people here. Oh, wow. Okay. I wonder how much those rides cost off. Like you just, uh, that natural, yeah. like everything, you just think about that. You just see the world through that filter. Now. Well, I think yeah. that's human nature. I mean, I do the same thing. Like obviously yeah. not with numbers, but but you know <laughs> obviously <laughs> obviously not. It's like you can't go to you can't go to a concert and then just yeah enjoy no because you you kind of you do this the whole time. Like my wife doesn't like going to shows with me because it's it's kind of <laughs> wow. I wonder how they did that. That's so funny. Yeah. My wife doesn't like going to the movies with me because yeah. of the same reason. I just completely yeah. ruined it. So I think to your point, you everyone sees life through the filter of what they know. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you kind of grade everything by that. Yeah, I think that's like a good healthy measurement of like, you know, uh, how, how you know you're doing the right thing or something that you enjoy because you get to, you know, spread it out throughout your life. Um, so, I mean, what do you, ever since you started with the event production company, uh, Elite, um, you know, has that changed your view of, I don't want to say the business world, maybe, maybe it has, but more of like the the production world? in that sense? Or did you get like a crash course into it? Um, how, how did that go for you? Yeah. I mean, maybe crash course is the right, is the right <laughs> phrase. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I walked, I, I stepped into, you know, this role with, 
with Elite having almost no exposure with production companies in general. It was very, very limited mm-hmm. um, and somewhat kind of tertiary for what the role that I had been in before. And so uh, the understanding of kind of the inner workings, um, even at anything beyond just a superficial level, was very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first probably two years at the company was a huge, huge learning curve for, for me. Um, not just from the financial side of it, from the industry side, the culture was, was a huge kind of learning curve for me to understand. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pretty tremendous undertaking for probably the first 24 months just to, to make sure I understood. And then once you kind of get the, the basics of how the business works, and then you really start understanding, I'd say the people are quite a bit more complicated than the numbers. Um, yeah. It becomes a little bit easier after that. Yeah, right. Um, I would say, so, okay, so let me touch on that, that you just kind of uh, said. So what about the people in this specific industry kind of, uh, you were kind of surprised at, or, you know, you didn't know that this was, this happened specifically with this industry? Yeah, so, you know, when you are in an environment like business management, the majority of your day is actually driven by numbers. I mean, you're focusing on that quite a bit, right? And so, and everybody around you is like that. So you're all somewhat similarly similarly wired and geared and what your day-to-day just kind of looks like. Mm-hmm. And then when you come into the production side of things, you realize that you are a very small fish in a very large pond. Mm-hmm. It is very different. You are not surrounded by people who are geared towards or wired to really want to dig into the numbers or to hold that at a very kind of high priority for their thought process or decision making, yeah. right? You are dealing with intensely creative individuals, um, which is fantastic in the regards that you get exposure to that, you understand kind of the, the thought process of how somebody that is highly creative kind of moves through their day-to-day, um, but then really puts you in a somewhat more difficult or challenging position because you understand that, you know, numbers don't lie. And at the end of the day, the backbone for a business is really rooted mm-hmm. in their ability to perform, which is driven through and proven through the numbers right. um, to make your case on why this is important or why certain decisions you need need to be looked at a little bit differently and not just through solely maybe a creative kind of lens. Right. So it was, yeah. it was interesting. Interesting. I was going to say creatives are a special bunch. Yeah. Included in there. Well, I think that was <clears throat> kind of taking my role on that was, that still is a struggle for me trying to articulate because I feel like I'm a bit of a middleman in those two worlds now. Yeah. So trying to, articulate to one side what you say and then articulate the needs from the other side in a numbers format that doesn't maybe doesn't really exist. Yeah. And what's interesting is that when you get a little bit further into it, you know, when numbers are your background, you tend to hold them in a very elevated position. Every decision should be driven from from numbers, right? And and a lot of people do that. Um, and then when you come into an environment that is not wired like that, it is how do you meet that compromise? And it's not just a, a give on one thing or another. It's really opening up your thought process to understand yeah. I'm having a conversation and I'm holding yeah. numbers as a priority in this conversation. They hold real space with me and how we're moving through this. But the needs of the business are moving on and really leaning into what you're talking about, which is maybe the more creative, more relational side of it that we can't necessarily always measure measure mm-hmm. with numbers, but is critical to the long-term success. And so it's really kind of broadening your mindset and your thought process to allow space for both of those. 
Yeah. Expand your horizons. That's the, that's, the, that's really it. Uh, really what I heard was I had to learn Excel. <laughs> that's that's what I heard. It's, Excel. it's basic. Come on. I've seen your spreadsheets. <laughs> um, so, you know, having the position that you're in is outside looking in. Seems like, you know, you're always busy. You got to prioritize, prioritize your time. Mm-hmm. You seem like you do a very good job of doing that. But my curiosity oh. is like having a family life and then having the position you're in, how does that, uh, you know, obviously you don't have to get too personal with it, but like, how does that, uh, how let's do you get personal. To, <laughs> let's talk about it. How do you, how do you navigate that? And where does it like come in con- conflict that you're just like, oh, I had to navigate that as well. I mean, I think kind of when you, when we talk about things like that, you know, the reality is it's a struggle for all of us, everybody. It doesn't matter what your position is within a company. True. Um, particularly if you are ambitious, driven, or determined, you are going to run into at some point some conflict with how you manage your work-life balance, right? Right. Um, and I think for for me, you know, considering that, you know, I'm now moving into kind of 15 years of trying to juggle that dynamic. What's really interesting is that I've kind of seen the shift of, you know, why when I initially started out, there was a, a real mentality in upper level and executive level management that, you know, you have to be the first one in the office. You better be the last one to leave. And your personal life doesn't exist and it doesn't interrupt or ever mesh or kind of intertwine with the needs of the business. And, you know, you just have to sacrifice, And so what's been really interesting in the last probably seven or eight years, as we've seen a few more millennials step up to bat, (laughs) is that we understand that the mental and emotional health of our workforce and ourselves is critically important to our ability to continue to be high performers and high high achievers, which means that I have to make space for my family. And if that means that there are times where I need to say, hey, I'm going to have to take this call remotely or I need to be on the road when I'm doing this, then I'm going to do that. You know, at the end of the day, and uh, I don't know if this necessarily messes well with this, you know, just 100% purely business-driven kind of conversation that a lot of people really like to have, Um, you know, my children are my number one priority. Mm -hmm. They always will be. Right. Um, and so I have an obligation as their mother to take care of them and making make sure that I am meeting their needs. Um, and there's some room for that. It's, you know, there's always a little bit of a, a compromise there. But at the end of the day, your family comes first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so in that, and because I am wired like that, and I do believe that I, you know, we all work to live. We don't live to work. There are very few people who end up with a, you know, a headstone that says I should have worked more mm-hmm. or boy, I really wish I had worked more weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to make space for that with your, your team as well that, you know, life happens and sometimes you have to be flexible with that. Yeah. And so for me, that is kind of the, the genesis of, of how I approach how to maintain that balance. Number one, my, my children, my family are my number one priority. Um, most of what I do is is for their benefit and to make sure that I give them the things that, you know, either I didn't have or opportunities I didn't have um, or teach some lessons that maybe, you know, I wasn't taught um, so that they can move out in the world and be successful, well-adjusted individuals who do the same thing for their family. And if I hold that for myself, I have to also give it to our team as well. I think it's funny. Funny. I think it's interesting. The, this has kind of been a a common thread amongst, several of the podcasts that we've done and it's been completely unintentional, but 
everyone has come back to making time for family first. Yeah. It's, you know, maybe that's not what we were taught. Maybe that's not what was originally in the industry, whatever. But all of these guys that we have talked to that have come out of the industry are still currently in the industry. It's that's what should happen or that's what should have happened. And, you know, the path that I'm on was dictated that by that. But at the end of the day, had I done that, that's what I should have done or I've gotten here because that's what I did. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of our predecessors were very much in that, you know, I, I live to work kind of mentality and air. And that's just, you know, not to age myself, but in the 80s or 90s, it's really how you climb mm-hmm. the corporate ladder. You were the one who was willing to put in the most work and, and the most effort. And a lot of times that is a mask for actual results. And so what I like is that we've opened up the space to be, I'm going to focus on my family. I'm going to allow our team to focus on their families. And when I do that and I give them that flexibility and that freedom to make those decisions, I also am seeing that the yield Mm -hmm. is greatly increased from what we would have gotten 15 to 20 years ago. When I give you or I am given the ability to kind of make space and, and take the time for my family whether that be just like kind of your regular everyday like doctor's appointments or vacations and things like that, then my home life becomes much more harmonious and and easier to navigate. And then I'm able to bring that kind of additional kind of power and energy into the workplace to be a little bit more creative and dynamic because I'm not being stretched in in both places at home and at work. You're not always wound tight because of – you know, at that point, I think well, it just feeds. Right, yeah. Well, and I think uh, there's there's a there's a Hemingway quote that said, "Never mistake motion for action." And I think that was a. I think yeah. we saw a lot of that. In, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was just because you showed up first didn't mean you were actually doing anything. Yeah. You just stayed there all day. Yeah. And then your home life fell apart. So there's still a lot of companies that even operate in that way, even right now. Just very, you know, if you're not constantly working, have your head buried in it, like you're not doing anything. And it does a little something to the culture, uh, yeah. definitely. Um, well, so I think I, we've reached a place with technology that 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 doesn't matter anymore. You know, having having a butt in a seat doesn't necessarily mean that work is or is not getting done. Um, because I think depending on what where you're at in your job or you know what job you do, technology is advanced to a point where most of us can do our job from anywhere in the world as long as we have some sort of cell signal. Yeah. You know, so yeah, definitely. yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely. Um, so, Angela, um, I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure we'll get this question, is like, predominantly speaking, usually somebody thinks CEO, they think it's male. Mm-hmm. Just automatically, call a stereotype, whatever. Um, what kind of challenges have you had um, when, in your current position or if any at all, cause I know it's a different type of world now. Um, like well, I, I'm going to point out it, it's a primarily male position in what has historically been a primarily male industry too, on top of that. Oh, right. So that's, exactly. Yeah. That's like a double whammy right yeah. there. Yeah. It's not, I mean, let me just preface all this with, uh, you know, the reality is this is my least favorite thing to, to talk about. That's it's, why we're uh, doing it. I know. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Um, you know, the, I feel like my gender is maybe hopefully the least interesting thing about me as a person or a professional. Um, but it's not a stereotype because statistically it's true. Mm. The vast majority of people in executive leadership positions, uh, particularly at the C level are, 
are predominantly male. Um, our industry in particular for production is maybe, I think we are about 13% female. So 87% male. It's not historically, it's current. It, it, yeah. It's actually getting better, but that's very slow going. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the reality is, is that's a conversation that maybe that is worth having. It's, uh, I think it, it impacts quite a few people. Um, I would actually, I will flip this around on you guys though, before I answer. Very nice. Uh, what are your thoughts on having a CEO who is female? Have you seen any difference or any change in that? Because I would assume that both of you have spent the vast majorities of your careers working under predominantly male leadership. And you have to, and you have to answer that first saying what you thought it was, it would be like, and then the actuality. Oh, and man. I'm listening. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> My paycheck is in the balance. Um, <laughs> it, it's going to, it's going to sound like kind of a, a, a nothing burger answer, but honestly for me, because I was freelance for so long, I mean, the majority of my career has been freelance. There was a short term where I, I worked and I actually had, um, I guess, I don't think her title was CEO. I think she was VP or president or whatever, but my one stint for long-term stint under another company was actually ran by a female too. So I, for me, I, I had no expectation. You, you know what I mean? It was, that's the CEO, it's a job. So for me, I, I just never really cared. Like it doesn't matter to me. Um, I do think in my, in my time here where you weren't CEO, um, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I, th I think there's been a positive culture shift because of those things that you talked about, because there was a bit of an older kind of old school mentality, um, prior to that, um, where it was very much, you know, uh, if your butt went in a seat, you weren't doing your job, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I, I can tell, I can say, f you know, definitively that there was a better culture shift changing out of that. Um, but yeah, I know that's a terrible answer. I, I no, really, no, I really had, <laughs> I, I've always been, as long as you can do your job, I don't care. I just, yeah. I just want to go home at the end of the day and yeah. I want to get my check when I'm supposed to, and I want us all to be happy. I know that sounds like a very kumbaya answer, but a little bit, but it, I, I get it. It's truthful. It just doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter. I don't think that gender or anything else plays a role in your ability to do your job and do it well. I think that's a personality thing. I think that's an internal drive thing. I don't think that has anything to do with gender at the end of the day. What about yeah. you? Oh, I thought I was going to get you. No, I thought your leg was long <laughs> enough that I could like bypass. Oh, um, look at that. And we're done. <laughs> How about that? Um, to be honest, I have had, um, at, well, again, most of my career has been freelance as well. But the times that I have worked under uh, certain people, um, when I did have a female uh, senior uh, that I had to respond to um, or answer to, um, whether it be supervisor or whatever, I'm not going to lie. I did have, there was always some kind of issue. I don't know if it was specifically to the gender. 
Uh, I don't think it was. I just think it was just, you know, personality types or whatever. There was always some kind of issue or something. Something just didn't mesh well. I'm not going to lie. But that doesn't mean I came in uh, when I started working for Elite that it was like a preconceived notion. You know, it's, you know, it just is what it is. something you were watchful of. Yeah, well, it's, it is what it is. Let's see, you know, let's see who she is. Yeah. See how this plays out. Yeah, exactly. See how this plays out. <laughs> I was going to say it for you so you didn't have to. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I was... The one thing that I would say is that, you know, won me over is the culture that was already set up and how you really value the uh, uh, the family life, you know, like your personal life and what goes on behind, uh, you know, when you're not at work. Um, and if just kind of like just the freedom of, you know, I, I would just say that I would just really sum it up, not to get into anything specific, but just the culture that it was. Um I was like pleasantly surprised by it. And again, it doesn't necessarily tie into anything like gender specific, but it's just, you know, that's just your style of leadership. And this is the first place that I've actually worked at where the style of leadership actually like trickles down to the employees and just everybody's just, you know, very, um, it's a good environment. Like you don't, you don't feel any toxic or anything like that. And, you know, something comes up with my family. I, I have, you know, nobody's like down my back, like, where are you going? Where are you at? It's just, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And then you get the job done. You know what I mean? And as long as that's done, then everything's done. So I think, um, it was, mine was a little bit kumbaya like towards the end, <laughs> but, uh, but very honest. And, um, yeah. And I think that that's awesome. And I know you don't think that it's a, it's an exciting part of your, um, you know, career that, you know, gender, but I think that a lot of people will look at it as like, you know, there has to be some kind of, you know, fight back or something like that. Some, some challenges, some struggles that you went through to get, uh, and to even keep it there because right. you know, we're not going to let you, you're not going to get sidestep. You thought you did. You thought you got out of it. I did. Well, no, I, you know, again, you don't have to, we don't have to go down that track anymore, but I think like people like looking in will be like, appreciate that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I guess to the degree that it, it is maybe relevant or useful for anybody that would be listening to this. I mean, you know, there are a couple of different things to, to take into consideration when you're talking about being a female in a, in a leadership position. And I would say, you know, uh, because we just geographically where we are, you see a tremendous amount of men in the the workplace, um, tremendous amount, a huge concentration in leadership positions. Um, and I think that there are some real, maybe just cultural drivers behind that, particularly when you're talking about yes. where we, where we yeah. live. Right. Um, and so I grew up with all of that and I saw all of that. And that was what was kind of um, modeled for me when I would look out is that it was all predominantly, you know, right. male, mm -hmm. um, I would say that, you know, one of the things that maybe is different for for me is that, you know, particularly with my parents, my my dad in particular, he had three daughters and one son. Mm. Um, he was a very strong-willed, uh, kind of fiercely individualistic person and really pushed all of us to be like that as well. So, you know, from an early age, it was not if you go to college, it is when you go to college. Yeah. Mm. It was not optional. Um, my dad was a big, big believer in all of his children, particularly his daughters, to be able to take care of themselves and to not be reliant on anybody mm -hmm. um, for financial security or stability. And so there were a lot of conversations like that when I was growing up. Um, and then 
I kind of, as I got older, just never, it never occurred to me that there would not be an audience for what I had to say on yeah, something. Like it wasn't there, even a barrier in your mind. You no, just, it, it was, I understood, you know, there are some social dynamics that you kind of have to work through, right? Um, because there are, there is a difference in expected behavior, you know, and you hear a lot of women talk about this. I have experienced some of this to a certain degree, you know, a, a man can be strategic, um, but a woman is maybe looked at as, is, you know, what were they, what was their real goal there? Yeah. It's a little bit more calculating, like in a negative way. Mm. Um, and so there is a little bit of that that you kind of have to, to work through, um, you know, and you also have to be open to the fact that some people are just not going to like you. Mm. They're just not going to like your personality. They're not going to like what you have to say. And so it really was for me kind of zeroing back into what I was taught, which is don't talk to people who don't want to listen to you. Yeah. Mm. Take your skill set and your thought process and whatever level of creativity and passion you bring to a position and find your audience for it. Um, I'm not, you know, for me, and that was kind of when I think about where I have wound up now and the position that I'm in, that was really it. You know, I, I'm comfortable and confident in my skill set and what I bring to the table. I need to find the right people to, to listen to that. And, um, you know, the owner of this company, Jeremy, is a huge proponent of that as well. He's very much wired like you, Kenny, is I, I don't care, male mm -hmm. or female, I, I don't care about your gender. Can you do the job? Yeah. And uh, do I think you're smart? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was maybe that easy um, or that straightforward, not easy. And so, you know, when we're talking about kind of the day-to-day -day now in our in our internal team, I don't feel any pushback um, from anybody based off of the fact that I'm, I'm female. Um, would I say I've not run into issues because of that? Absolutely not. I can't. I'm <laughs> looking at you, Dan. Um, <laughs> but there are some people, yeah, of course, that think that because you're a woman that you have a role that's really more domestic in nature and that your place is not going to be in a corporate or professional environment. Those are not my people. And so I'm not going to listen to you. Okay. That's yeah, it. I think the whole section was a soundbite. I think that I like one of that was, was the we're right there, man. I was, was that good? Thinking yeah. That. I was yeah. Like that? That was yeah. I think I think <laughs> that was by the, itself right yeah, there. Yeah. Um so I mean it sounds like a lot of the things that you your dad kind of like um you know spoke to you about, you mm -hmm. still apply those nowadays. So my question to you is, and coming from someone that's very uh I don't want to say routine based, but there's things that I do every day that I just have to do. And if I don't do them, I feel like I'm not myself. So my question to you is, do you have like a, I don't want to say routine, but like daily things that you do that they're just non-negotiable and that in itself helps you become either a better leader, um, better at your, at your work, um, better yeah. people person, uh, a better mom, um, just things like that. Is there something that you do every single day, some kind of daily, uh, routine. Okay. Let's call it routine. Yeah. So it may not be as specific as something I write down on a list and kind of check a box on later. Um, but I would say, you know, one of the things that was super hammered into me as a kid is if you don't have a plan to succeed, you do have a plan to fail. Mm. 
Um, and so for me, kind of the initial thought process are what are my high priority items, the things that I have to, to get ticked off? Is that going to be something that I need to have as a deliverable? Is it a conversation? Is it just sitting down and taking 15 to 20 minutes and kind of thinking through what are my actual thoughts on this and then distilling those down into paper so that I can see how do I actually think about this and feel about it? And then are there actionable steps I can take on that? So you that, actually write it down, have it physically, because yeah. that's a lost art right there. Like most people just go on their like digital things and yeah i'm a paper person so the way that my my memory and my brain work i have to be able to write it down and that is what kind of clues into me on something that is okay this is important Mm -hmm. um and keeps it in my focus um and so there's there's that kind of of element and i would say professionally and personally i use you know all of that um to make sure that I'm getting everything accomplished that I need to get accomplished and nothing's falling off my radar. Mm-hmm. Secondary to that, but probably most importantly, is really just a thought process in, in how you treat people and how you interact with them. And so for me, one of the big barriers of whether or not I've had a good day, a good week, a successful month or year, um, the numbers are certainly a component of it. It's the, did I treat people well? I treat somebody the way that I want to be treated. Mm. You know, it's really easy, um, I think, for maybe for people who grew up um, in maybe a bit of a different situation than I did, somebody who maybe grew up with a little bit more um, kind of built-in leverage on how to navigate relationships or connections or network, um, to just think that how you treat people doesn't matter. You know, for me, quite frankly, I've worked for everything I have. Mm -hmm. Nothing has been given to me. Um, And because I come from a place that's like that, it gives me a tremendous amount of empathy for people who are ahead of me and for those who are also behind me coming up as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Did I take the, the time to be the person that somebody felt kind of um, lifted up or supported by in a conversation? Mm -hmm. Or did I take my time to just beat you down and make you feel like shit? And then if I did that just because I could, um, where does that leave you, you know, a week, a month, or a year from now? And what is your thought process on what you're capable of? Did I just eliminate somebody who could have been a huge resource for us and our success Mm. in the next, you know, few months or years by how I chose to treat them in a moment because I could? Or did I lead with empathy and say, you're a person first? Mm. And then a colleague, peer, coworker, team member, second. Wow. And so as long as I'm hitting that, then I feel like I can lay my head down at night and feel like I, I did a good job with people. Because at the end of the day, something that I genuinely believe, um, there are a tremendous amount of people who are incredibly successful. And I have seen this over and over and over again. And you guys kind of uh, talked about this a little bit a few minutes ago, kind of that cutthroat, you know, uh, mentality when you're in business and it doesn't really matter, just get the job done. And I'm just going to build a business. It's like a, a meat grinder for people. I'm going to use up all of your creativity. And then I'm, once that's expelled, you know, I'm going to get rid of you and just backfill yeah. your position. That is gen- genuinely not how I'm wired. How you get there with people, the ends do not justify the means. How you get there with people matters. Are you building people up? Are you setting people up that are going to be in a position that they are leaders that you would want your kids to work for one day? Mm-hmm. Are you building the next generation of people who just want to bludgeon you in a workplace because they can? Right. It's wow. a 
like a soft skill. Well, and it's it's interesting moving into this industry having that kind of mentality because this industry is so small. Mm. Like comparatively to other things, it's so small. You never know who you're going to run into in two weeks, two years that becomes a decision maker that holds, you know, your life in their hands or, you know, because all of a sudden they've moved up that, you know, you were a jerk to them here, said things you shouldn't have said. And then three months later, they're the tour manager on the tour that you're trying to get. You know, yeah. it, it, it comes back real easy in this business. Yeah. I think it's just a, in, you know, something that's kind of interesting and, or at least the thought process on leadership is that ultimately um, you don't work for me. Mm. I work for you. Mm. And that's how it has to be set up. Um, as long as I have done my due diligence to make sure that the people we bring on our team are skilled and talented in whatever field we need them to be skilled and talented in for the overall goals and objectives of the business. Um, if I do that, which I, I feel like we have a pretty good track record of doing, then the offshoot is that I also have to understand that the only way you can fail is if I didn't give you the tools and resources you needed to succeed. Mm -hmm. And that could come from actual just tangible resources, but it's also a huge soft skill set game as well. Yeah. Did I make you feel like when you had a concern that you could lift that up, that you were in an environment that was going to listen to that and respond? Or did I just kind of say, eh, maybe yeah. later, we'll talk about it later, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, you, you're saying that, and you know, you're coming from a position of where you're at, you know, CEO. But I, you know, it, it, like I said, it trickles down to the rest of the employees, and that same mentality will, you know, if, if somebody didn't have that before, they'll see that you're doing it, you're the example, and then now they'll act in, in that in that specific way. You know, just that people component. I think a lot of times it's missed, especially in a corporate environment. And you know, to your point, it, it it's one of the most crucial ones to the overall success of anything. Well, I know? think if 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 leadership takes ownership of things, it allows everybody else to take ownership of things. Right. Yeah. Like, once like once no they choice. see that, you yeah. know, the, it becomes a thing. And But, you know, the opposite is very true. Once you see, you know, the person that you answer to, you know, try to, you know, pass the buck or that's where you get that really toxic environment where everyone just shoves it off to the next person to make them the scapegoat for whatever it was. But if, if the people at the top take ownership, then everybody else will in turn – Right. If, it's if like they need the to be bar. there, I'll, I'll say yeah. that if, you know, if, if they're right for the environment, the rest of them in turn will take ownership. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big thing. Before we move too far on uh, talking about plans, let's talk about COVID. Dude, that's literally what I, <laughs> where were you going there? Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, because I think that's a, I think that's a thing we have to talk about because I don't know that we would be here had you not created a plan for that. Um, and I know that was something that, uh, I know you lost many sleepless nights yeah. for months, maybe a year, years, years. Um, <laughs> so kind of talk, talk us through what that was like, kind of, you know, what it was like in the beginning when we started seeing that happen, what was your thought process? You know, were you kind of reading the tea leaves, looking at what was going on? What were your initial thoughts? And then, you know, how we got to where we are now. Yeah. So I can answer that in a sentence or two. Um, it, it was a super loaded question. Uh, yeah, it was. So there's a, there's a, a, a lot to that, you know, I was actually having a conversation with my oldest daughter the other day and 
we were kind of talking about just different types of personalities, um, you know, the conversations around kind of mental, emotional health, and we were really talking about kind of anxiety. And I will tell you, you know, a lot of people can look at anxiety in a very negative light. And and I think in some cases that's super appropriate. Um, I happen to tend to look at it as more of a tool or resource um, to make sure that, you know, we are not caught unaware, mm. not blindsided by something because it will make you and force you to look out and say, okay, things are good now, but what if, mm-hmm. what if this happens? And then what if that happens? And it allows you to kind of start even just from a conceptual standpoint, building kind of a plan to mitigate any potential factors that could negatively affect you. Right. And so that you're already ready for a response if this were to happen or, or this were to happen. Um, and so I do remember in kind of December 18, January, um, nope, sorry, December 19. 19, January, you know, 2020, when they were talking about a, a virus kind of going around and how it was just being highly transmitted um, and then how virulent it was and how dangerous it was for people. Um, I kind of, I went to who was my predecessor at the time and had a conversation and and I viscerally like just vividly remember saying, um, you know, with how communicable this is, the ability to devastate our industry is is incredible. Um, and there was just not quite an audience for that at the time. But my kind of anxiety around that and watching this and, and listening to the news really pushed me to go back again and say, I'm going to plan for this. I'm going to plan for the potential fallout of this and, and what happens. You um, almost kind of saw the potential that it could become. Oh, yeah. Right. Immediately. Immediately. Was, was any of that, and I don't think we mentioned this, that you're also the CEO of PixelFlex, our sister company, mm-hmm. which is an LED manufacturer. Was Did you kind of get any hint from that side since they're so involved with you know the- Absolutely not. Okay. They were not saying anything. Anybody that we were associated with on that side was not talking about this. Um, And and if they did, it was referred to as the situation. Um, So, no, there wasn't a lot of guidance in that. But, you know, just looking at the news and the level of kind of anxiety that was being generated and the reports early on that were coming out, yeah, I definitely looked at that and said, okay, this could be kind of the nuclear bomb for our industry. And and then what do you do? Um, And so I was told... um, Fine, you can you can do a little contingency plan if you want to, but we're not going to call it a contingency plan. Um, and I was like, all right, whatever. Um, great. <laughs> so let me start. I, let me give me the freedom to spend some time on this. And so in January of 2020, um, I sat down with a few people here and started having you know really serious conversations about what does this look like. And we went through multiple multiple scenarios and um, how we would structure and manage the business through. And that was inclusive of kind of what do you do with, you know, personnel? What do we do with assets? Where's our capacity to generate, you know, revenue? What is, what will happen here? And that was all very well in advance of anything talking about um, kind of the loans that were rolled out as a result of COVID and, you know, the retention credits, anything like that. Um, We didn't have any of that information yet, but within side of maybe a week or so, um, I had a solid first initial draft of a contingency plan. Um, and so in March of 2020, 
you know, we got the first case of COVID in Tennessee. People were talking about it very, very quickly thereafter. All of our schools were shut down very quickly after businesses were shuttered. And it put me in a position because we had planned for this, you know, a few months in advance at that point that within two days of kind of us having to work remotely and starting to understand the long-term fallout and what this could look like, I had a plan in place that we were executing. Um, and so for me, when we're talking about kind of being on the the front end of that, that was critically important for us because it wasn't a very long um hugely at that point, emotional conversation about what are we going to do? I wasn't, we were not spiraling right. from mm-hmm. a thought process standpoint. I had something very data driven set out in front of me and I knew the moves that we needed to make. Um, and that was just from really primarily the financial side is that at that point I was the CFO. Mm-hmm. So all of these were good financial moves for us to make. And then, you know, we also had some really good moves that we made as far as setting up kind of our streaming demo room facility here on site to allow people to stream their events. Mm -hmm. So we were able to start generating revenue. We were, I believe, one of the first companies that kind of got on the front end of that, the live streaming, Mm -hmm. um, which became huge in COVID and really was one of the things beyond just the decisions we made financially for how we can kind of mitigate and weather this storm was really a way that we use as kind of a launch pad to generate revenue throughout COVID. So both of those were were very important for us. So that's how you got to and then started to make it through COVID. Uh, It's also worth noting we had just survived uh, barely getting taken out by a tornado right before that. Because I think um, we were without power for for several weeks, right? I think yeah. going into that. Um, so we went straight out of, uh, hanging up, uh, led blinders in the hallway and running cable from a generator mm-hmm. to everybody straight into, uh, what ended up being several months of not being in the office, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's almost like, so, I mean, it's almost like, uh, I like that idea that you were ready for it, almost kind of see it coming. You're like a wartime general in a certain sense. <laughs> and I think that, that uh, your propensity to actually be, you know, with the numbers kind of kind of pulls you towards that way. It's like, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, what's the worst case scenario, best case, and what's most likely to happen kind of thing. Um, you know, that has really kind of, you know, uh, helped you out as, you know, in your position, in, especially in times like that. Because I, I don't know if there's anything... I'm sure there's a worse thing, but that's that's pretty bad for the industry. Like the whole, you can't. I mean, show I think up, that's probably can't the, go anywhere. It's probably the worst thing yeah. that's ever happened to this industry. I mean, historically, I mean, we're we're recession proof. We're we're a lot of things proof. We're just not that proof. Yeah, global <laughs> pandemic. We're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna check that box. Yeah. Um, I think you know, not just us, but everybody in our industry. I mean, you know, literally inside of three to four weeks, you watched. Uh, vast majority of your anticipated revenue just kind of vanish. Um, And there was no kind of safety net in place for that because at that point, even the insurance that we would typically take out didn't offer that. It didn't respond to it. Nobody had ever considered the potential for that. And you didn't even know how long it was going to last. You had no idea. So No, but we expect, I mean, I expected very early on that when they were talking about how bad this was and they were shutting down, you know, other cities, um, shutting down school districts. My expectation was that this was going to last all throughout 2020, just for how the business works and just tour cycles in general. You're not going to come back online in October, November and, right. and kind of hit your full stride. Yeah. You're going to pause and then reassess, you know, early, mid next year. Um, 
so yeah, that was absolutely kind of a part of what helped us, I think, you know, get through it and weather it. And I also think kind of the the soft benefit of having something like that is that we didn't have a tremendous amount of lack of communication or that feeling that our, you know, team got of like, nobody knows what's going on. None of us have any idea because we were making some really direct, consistent, intentional moves very early on. And then talking through, okay, how, this is a strategy. How do we build off of this? And how yeah. do we move into something else? It, I think it, for me at least, kind of fostered a sense of like, all right, we have some some leadership in place. They have a plan. I'm not just kind of out here wondering what's going on. Which I think that's huge just from a psychological standpoint, at least for me being on that end, at least knowing that there was a plan involved versus just going, well— uh, are we, showing up? are <laughs> we showing up today? What's the, am I going to show up and the doors are locked? What's the, yeah. so I think that's a huge, it's a huge thing to just know that there's a plan. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't even have to be a good plan in some cases, <laughs> just knowing that there's a plan that somebody's actually taking a step to let's look at it. Let's figure something out. Mm-hmm. Right. And it almost kind of like motivates you. It's like, all right, gives you a little bit of hope. Yeah. And what can I do to help? Well, again, you know I mean? again, it goes back to the ownership from the top. If ownership from the top happens, it, it trickles on down. Yeah, crazy. So um, <clears throat> we're running up on the yeah, last close. bits of this uh, episode. Now, I know that there's definitely people looking in this episode, looking at this episode and just, you know, and they're like, oh, my God, I want to be. That's awesome. Angela's at where she's at. I, she's fantastic. What are some really going for that bonus? Aren't you? <laughs> I love it. Keep it coming. <laughs> um like what, what would you give, uh, what type of advice would you give to somebody that's, uh, wants to really become good at what they do and, uh, be successful at what they do, whether it be male, female, whatever. Um, what's something that you would give them as far as like career wise? Um, and, and I mean, you could literally listen to the whole episode and, and kind of like fragmentalize what it is you said, but, um, what like concrete practical things. Let me start out with something that's maybe not so concrete okay. and hopefully <laughs> practical to begin with. Um, you know, I mean, I think that we put um, we we put so much focus and and we're so geared on um, even just as a, a kind of a family unit of making sure that um, our kids are, are positioned for success. And a lot of times, what that kind of morphs into is that you have to have straight A's in school, or you have to be really great at sports, or you have to do something. There's just some some measurable benchmark that we need our kids to hit in order for them to be su- successful in life. And the reality is, is that very little of what they do um, in school is really going to kind of translate through. You know, not every child is is going to be great at sitting at a desk for eight hours a day and being able to memorize enough information to ace a test. And if you have that kind of unreasonable expectation, you're really limiting your children on how to become their own individuals to give them the freedom to figure out what they want to actually do because they would have lived the majority of their life to that point feeling like they were a failure. Um, So for me, it, it starts out with at home, you know, I don't look necessarily, and girls don't listen to this, uh, and William don't listen to it either, but, you know, their grades are not the number one predictor of how successful successful they're going to be in life. They're just not. What I want to see from you is that you have the capacity to put forth the effort in a challenging situation. Are you determined? Your grit, grit is actually what's going to see you through, but you have to couple that with your ability to kind of dig in and broaden 
broaden your horizons, to find something that you're passionate about and that you care about. And if you can find that, do that. Do something that you love so much that you would do it even if you were not getting paid, assuming that money didn't mean anything, right? right? Do something that you love enough that you would do it without getting paid. Do it in the most interesting place you can find to, to do it in with the most interesting people you can find to do it in and find a way to help people. And then if you can couple that with grit and determination, success is just going to be a natural byproduct of that. Mm. Where you kind of fall in and people will falter um, is really just this unmet potential is the 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 biggest kind of failure in life. Mm. You have potential for something. You could have been great and you chose to play it safe, to never yeah. try to go outside of what you knew, to look at anything different. Um, and so for me, it's like, take the risk, figure it out, especially when you're younger. Like what we do in our, you know, late teens and twenties, when we have very few obligations, real obligations. You got nothing to lose. Yeah. You have nothing to lose. Capitalize on that. Like use that time. Take that time to figure out what you're passionate about. That may not include a college track or it may include a college track. Some of the smartest people we work with don't yeah. have bachelor's degrees, right. you know, and it doesn't, you know, take away from what they bring to the workplace or how valuable they are. And then, you know, even kind of outside of that, literally find your audience you're frustrated. People aren't listening to you. You feel like you have something valuable to bring to the table. Don't live your life being kind of a flag bearer for mediocrity. Go out there and find your place. Find people that want to hear what you have to say. Um, and then continue to push forward in that and understand that you're not always going to be in this kind of idyllic scenario where you're not facing adversity and there's no difficulty that comes your way. But understand, too, that if you surround yourself with the right people, making it through difficult, very challenging mm -hmm. situations becomes exponentially easier. Mm -hmm. So find your group. Find what you're passionate about. Find your ability to persevere in that. If you want to be lazy and you don't, you don't have what it takes to push through something that you don't want to do, then don't be pissed when people have things that you don't have. Mm -hmm. Shut up. Don't do complain. the work. There it is. I love that. I don't know about you, Kenny, but I'm super motivated right now. I'm also ready for launch too. <laughs> so not motivated. I'm, motiv I'm motivated. No, I think I think those are I think those are some good takeaways from this. I think one is is finding your audience. Like don't don't stand amongst a crowd trying to be heard over everybody else. Mm -hmm. Go somewhere where they actually want to listen to you, where they value your time, where they value your opinion. Um, because that's where you're going to do the most good. If you're constantly trying to be heard over everybody else's rumble, you're just wasting your time. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing. I think my other takeaway from this is it, it, it's really about the journey and not so much the destination. Mm. Like I think, you know, all of these things, it's, it's about what you do while you're trying to get there, not necessarily where you're trying to go. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, karma is a real thing. And I feel like what you put out in the world is exactly what you're going to get back from it. And all of that to say, uh, I am not everybody's cup of tea. I'm sure you guys are we not either. Shake, we have to shake our oh, heads. Definitely not. Uh, I'm definitely not everybody's cup of tea. But the, the point is, if you can kind of position yourself where you understand that, but you still move forward in an intentional, well-meaning way with people, and you're doing something that is really for the greater benefit with the understanding that there's some individual benefit on the other mm -hmm. side of that, you're going to be in a much better position. 100%.
there's so many sound bites to this episode that I'm, I'm just, <laughs> really are. this is fantastic. I think coming up with a title for this one's going to be tough. Yeah. There's so, so many to choose from. Um, Kenny, any last thoughts on right before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think, I, I think those were kind of my two. Um, but I, I, I think that's the thing that really does stick with me is, you know, finding your audience because I think you're right. Once you find that audience and you create that group of people around you, all those, anytime you meet adversity at that point, it's just going to temper who you are as a person versus it's much harder to beat you down. I think at that point, if, if you're with your, your group of people, whether you want to call it your tribe, whatever frou-frou name you want to throw on it. But I think it's important to have a community that supports each other. Um, no one can do this alone. I, I think it's another kind of common thread that we've talked about as far as, you know, mental health and all this stuff. Um, no one does this alone. No one does this successfully alone. So I think it's important to find, your group of people and go on that journey together. That's it. And if not, take your ball and go home. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um, awesome. Angela, thank you so much for being on this episode. Uh, we were, me and Kenny were, or Kenny and I were very excited to have you on. Uh, yeah. I'm not just saying that. Well, we were going to have you on first and then it didn't work out. You went yeah. and did vacations to faraway lands. So to distant worlds. And, yeah. um, mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. work-life balance, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad it it, um, it happened and definitely surpassed my expectations. So thank you so much for being on the episode, and uh, Kenny, thank you so much for being with me again. And yeah, uh, let's do it again. Let's do it we got to do how many how many episodes did I say we had to make it to? Uh, I believe the exact number were 18. We got to make it past 18, right? 100. Okay. All right. Well, well, there we go. Everybody, thank you for watching, and stay tuned for the next episode. Until next time, let's cue it. <laughs>